0: The benefits of hyper-personalization, again, is really getting to know you on a one-to-one basis.
1: everyone. Thanks for tuning in to notes of design to help support our mission spread knowledge. We have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Claudio Baptista, a design leader with over 20 plus years of experience working across different fashion products to entertainment across different agencies around the world. Currently, he is the director of user experience for GoPro and previously he worked as head of design for Walt Disney Studios. In this episode, Claudio had shared great insights on hyper personalization and what are the various benefits of hyper personalization? What are the strategies of framework that designers can leverage to create these experiences. We then spoke about how to craft these experiences, considering the accessibility and inclusion perspective. And how do we measure the success of area of crafted personalized experiences? Hope you guys enjoy this episode. And on every Friday, we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design. So don't forget to tune in into Notes of Design every Friday. With that being said, happy designing, everyone. Hi, Claudio. Welcome to Node of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Taj. It's it's a great pleasure to be here. So how's your day going? Uh, So far, so good. It's early here in California, so we just started, but it's Friday, so can't complain.
1: Wonderful, Claudia. If you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm currently director of UX for GoPro. I joined the company not too long ago, last year, kind of like the end of November, beginning of December. Prior to that, I was... Uh, Yeah, I was at Disney for quite a few years. Uh, I was leading UX and design for the Walt Disney Studios. And prior to that, I've been through a bunch of stuff. So I've been designed for 20 plus years. And I'm from Brazil originally. That's where I started my career. And yeah. And that's, uh, that's what I'm doing right now.
1: So, what was your journey into design and how did you start? What are your tips on the beginners on how to start?
0: Yeah, so I think it's, uh, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about my journey and then we, we get to some tips. So yeah, my journey started way back when in Brazil. Uh, I went to the school for communications, got a bachelor's, uh, and got very lucky. I did several internships during college, started publishing back in the day, was kind of print design graphic design, a lot of that, Uh, also had a chance to work with research uh, in pharma. After that, I got very lucky. I joined the Yellow Pages in Brazil. They were studying, especially on the digital space. I was an intern, went from an intern all the way to a marketing supervisor, was into marketing, overseeing designers and developers to kind of launch the The Yellow Pages footprint in Brazil, the digital, the digital, uh, the websites and the digital services. Uh, So I got very lucky to be able to, my boss, didn't know what to do with the website. And she said, "Okay, let an intern take care of it. And that thing grew. We got some prizes uh, in Brazil for that in the services category. And but I had a chance to start working very closely with the design team. And I fell in love. My brother is an art director in Brazil, and I really gravitated towards actually getting my hands-on design Started there. Uh, yeah, worked six, uh, I think it was five or six years there, and then decided to, to come to the United States to further study, meeting my wife, decided to stay, open my own design shop. I uh, freelanced quite a bit, working in a lot of uh, smaller media agencies, and then moved to New York. Uh, went to work for Omnicom Media, stayed as a digital art director for a while, became a creative director. In New York and then decided to move back to California where they were my former leader at Disney was starting a program at Disney and then I joined Disney and that's been a it's been a journey. So I've been all over the place in design honestly I've been working, yeah, like I had my own thing, uh working graphic design, visual design, design strategy, dabbing into code and a lot of CSS front end. I think at the time it was jQuery, we used to play flash a lot in animation when I was an agency. So yeah, I've been all over the place uh, in design. So tips for people starting on the career. Design is a very broad field. So I'd say just get yourself into whatever you can do to get started. Uh, it could be graphic, could be uh, yeah, visual design, could be UX, could be product design, interaction design motion, anything that you feel like comfortable, the illustrations, uh, even content creation. I would say just get yourself into it. If you can start as an intern, get some experience, uh, get your foot in the door and slowly but surely start experimenting with other sides of design until you can find your your niche, what you really like to do, and kind of further, or to become more specialized in one area, or you can, like me, become kind of this generalist, like play in research, play in, in, in actual design and strategy. So I would say, just yeah, try to get anything that you can get to get started, and then slowly but surely you can migrate your way through the through, through the through the vast field that's uh, uh, product design and UX and design in general. Hello.
1: thank you so much Claudia that was indeed a wonderful journey so let's begin our episode with hyperpersonalization in ux so what exactly is hyperpersonalization and what are the various benefits of hyperpersonalization
0: before we get started in defining what this is uh let's take a look where we are in terms of uh, especially when it's applied to e-commerce globally uh, i think the again we had a huge leaps in technology and improvements this last year. I think user expectations grew quite uh, in parallel to the technology advancements. Right now, if you look at the marketplace right now, uh, if you look at the, the whole landscape right now, marketplace, the giant retailers and marketplaces like Amazon, uh, Taobao, Timo, they are accounting for almost 50% of the sales of, of e-commerce in general or digital sales. The question is, how can retailers and, and direct-to-consumer brands compete with those giant retailers in the level of service? It's really difficult. Again, I think if you go to Amazon and if you go to any of these giants, they offer a level of service, delivery, shipping, fulfillment. That's very, it's, it's a whole operation and logistics and infrastructure that's really tough for, for for companies, regular companies retailing to match that. So the question for us is then what is left, right? Like, like if we can compete on the transactional level with this giant, what what brands can offer that's uniquely different? And as it's all about relationship, it's all about further that relationship with the consumers, uh, understanding better, owning their relationship, and taking that that the whole post-purchase flow to the next level so we're talking engagement we are talking value down the road we're talking to really understanding these customers and that's where personalization kind of becomes just to, to 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 get us a little bit deeper into that and before getting to hyper personalization which companies are dealing now with uh, just kind of to define personalization it really becomes uh we start looking at a lot of data but primarily transactional data and personal data. I think personalization started back then. Uh, We are looking at, okay, your transactional purchase history, your personal demographic. And we try, and and companies try to be a little bit more personal and kind of, Okay, I'm going to put your name on the subject line of an email and all that. And that was just scratching the surface. So now uh, what happened was uh, the amount of data that companies have access to it is gigantic from a first party type of data all the way to third party, social, anything that the user is interacting with, with the brand is generating data. So hyper personalization literally uh, use uh, artificial intelligence, augmented analytics, and, and really getting deep into consumer behavior to kind of predictive models and how to serve content that's more relevant. So through technology, I think because of the leaps of advancement in technology, companies are able to make sense of the sheer amount of data that's coming in, be able to normalize that create a customer, a, a, a unified profile view of the customer, and really hyper-personalization touches in more types of data. It touches in behavior, event, track your, your history. So it's taking those personal and transactional and really exploding to behavioral and all these other types of data and interactions that a consumer has with a brand to paint that unique view. So the benefits of hyper-personalization, again, is, is really getting to know you on a one-to-one basis. It's being used a lot for marketing, to one-to-one marketing, but it's really uh, the ability of Tailoring the customer journey to a unique micro segment of your audience is very, it's very key. So hyper-personalization, when it's done right, can be extremely beneficial in terms of relevancy. So it matters to you and it is remarkable to you. So it's really the way we can speak the one-to-one to the customers and offer things on the right time, the right place, the right touch point that matters to you. Generating more conversions. Deep engagement so there's a lot of benefits in terms of getting the relationship deepen with the consumers so
1: what are the various strategies or framework that designers can leverage to create these wonderful experiences
0: yeah so that's a that's a that's a broad question again this is uh to really uh, get into the hyper personalization space right we are dealing with uh things outside of the the normal design realm did a talk not too long ago about, about yeah the impact on new acts about the hyper-personalization strategies. And again, but just before we get into frameworks, there are key four main uh, steps for personalization, right? There's the data collection, like how are we collecting all this data from a multitude of sources? There's then the customer segmentation, how are we making sense of all the data, normalizing, create segments that we can understand better. And then really targeting the journeys to those segments And then there's the measurement and analysis phase, right? Because again, we are optimizing, we are learning on the fly. AI machine learning is applying constant changes to the UI, to messaging, creative testing, all your work. So there are quite a few few frameworks that a designer uh, can use. uh, But again, it's it's a bigger thing that's outside of the design scope. But I I think what's important here is the framework on a hyper-personalization is very similar to a UI framework, which is we really need to do our research, which is the data collection piece. We really need to understand segmentation. And, and, and craft audience. audience, we're talking about personas, archetypes, and all that. We really need to start understanding flows and, and, and the journeys and be able to segment and understand points of personalization within the journey. Finally, we are doing evaluative research, which is evaluating design. So I think understanding the role of design there, Taj, is, is crucial in terms of we need to partner better with marketing with technologies, with engineers, uh, really write those use cases, write the the journeys, be able to map that. So I think design is major that, to be able to define the things and then start applying. So there's a lot of uh, of different frameworks that we can do, but definitely rely on a bigger picture to get the things done. Uh, I think the UX is one piece of this, or design is one piece of that, but you really, uh, designers need to partner with these other teams, to be able to define a framework that works for hyper-personalization.
1: Thank you, Claudia. So in this dynamic and omni-channel environment, so how do we make sure that personalized experience have been there with every user interaction with the system?
0: Yes, I think it is, again, we if you have a model that works well, if you'll be able to tailor that, and a lot of the things that we're talking about, it's, it's at scale, right? We're talking about Depending on your brand, like millions of users, their one-to-one relationship, it's through automation. A lot of that is predictive analytics. It's being able to filter tons of data, automate the segment, and then you provide uh, these individualized journeys. Assuming that technology is doing its part, things are starting to do. What I think a design can do uh, to make sure that this is uh, efficient from a design perspective is looking at a modular system that is accounting for dynamic ui uh that can be and and really predict these moments of personalization when that's happened be able to work with that segmentation to understand these unique sides of the journey and create on the design these moments of personalization right and where we can be personal. How can we interact with the user? So I think the, yeah, I think to make sure that that's there from the beginning and works correctly is being able to really top funnel, predict these moments, and craft a different modular way to serve content uh, in a personalized way because you won't control because a lot of the things are generated automatically. But you, if you create a modular system, you'll be able to make sure that your UI or your messaging, your content strategy will, will, will fit the model when the things are feeding back to you.
1: So, Claudia, how could we hyper-personalize experiences or the models of hyper-personalization experience considering the accessibility and inclusion perspective? Any few examples that you could share?
0: Yeah, I think when it comes to accessibility, I think it's a must-have regardless of personalization. Any designer and an engineer team should be on top of that in the best way possible to be ADA compliant, to be. I think uh, it's very interesting, especially in the US alone. I think the world's largest minority group is, is, is people with disabilities. And it's usually a, a $490 billion industry that companies, are not only from a monetary perspective, leaving behind, but it's also you're underserving this massive population, right? So I think independent if you have a, a personalization strategy or not, or hyper-personalization strategy, accessibility should be top of mind. And again, it's becoming more and more prevalent, especially because the companies are uh, lost, they're coming. So, uh, some few examples that come into mind. I think the the most the the I think one that I can not remember. The kind of spearhead in two thousand twelve, NAD, which is the National Associ- Association of that people in the United States, sued Netflix because of their content it was not accessible to them. It was a huge lawsuit. In Massachusetts, and I think was one of the first cases that make really high profile why accessibility was so important, independent of personalization. And after that, we had Nike being sued, Domino's being sued. So more and more lawsuits are coming into play. So I think it's a, I think it's a win-win because it's a, one you were really catering your service for for a group that it's overlooked quite a lot. So I think there's the 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 just the the, the karma part of this, that you're doing something good. But also there is the risk of not doing that. You're going to get the lawsuit. You're going to get... You, you're gonna have to deal with litigation down the road. So again, I think independent of personalization, being accessible in any way, and again, you can cater your experience even for this group once you get into the the more granular segmentation to a specific offerings that work for for the community, right? For the, the disability community. So that's 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 one thing that you can think of. But it's yeah, it's crucial. It's a it's a must have.
1: So how could we measure the success or failure of these crafted personalized? Experiences
0: And again, I think if you do it well, right, if the, the, the system works, again, Taj, I'm not underplaying how difficult it is to pull this off. It's, uh, it's a lot of team, depending on a lot of uh, operations in scale in a company to be able to, because again, it's not only uh, the desire of the design team or the product team. Uh, it, it really needs involvement from a multitude of partners and cross-functionally within a company. But if it's working well, we're probably going to start seeing increasing conversion rate because you're feeding more, serving more contextualized content and relevant content. So you see more engagement. You're going to see reduced information load, cognitive load from the users. Uh, you will be able to craft a UI in a way that it makes sense to you, to your journey, to your specific tasks, so you can remove things that get in the way, uh, increase user engagement. You see more time in session, and you see engaged customer coming to the channel. Because again, you're building that relationship, increase brand perception, affinity, loyalty. So all of that becomes so. So what we're talking here about? It's really deepen the relationship and create more meaningful relationships. Uh, lead generations are not the one if you done that in marketing. You are most likely gonna see more people coming through the funnel and all that so if your if your personalization is working well you're going to see this kpis probably increasing the failures i think the biggest failure for personaliza- uh, personalization again it's because it's what i like to tell my teams which is just because you can doesn't mean that you should meaning we have more access to data than ever but not all of all of data it's consent to be used so the ethical approach to data aggregation data collection data usage and again when you talk about hyper personalization i think the biggest thing that comes to mind from a favorite perspective is companies pushing their boundaries and going too personal uh, without your consent. So is that too creepy? Uh, And I know everything about you. Is that a privacy invasion of your rights? So there's always that. So just because you have access to the data, you have to be very careful and ethical how you're gonna use that data. But I think it comes down to especially, usually customers are okay giving up the data if the company are really indeed providing value and i think that's what comes down to it's like are we providing value is an exchange i'm asking you to give me something i'll give you something back that i'm promising that's more relevant tailored to you so companies that just talk the big talk and and really go beyond that usage they will hurt because they will uh, users uh, most customers are, are ready to drop companies off if they cross that boundary and become two person without a consent. So it is a double-edged sword you have to use carefully and in a humane way. Easy for you to, to really cross the line. So companies need to be aware of that.
1: Thank you, Claudia, for sharing all these wonderful insights with us. So could you please share with us how does your typical day look like?
0: Any interesting stories? Lots of meetings, if that's any interesting to you, anyone. But it's uh yeah, because I operate my it's kind of crazy my my stuff because i operate in so many levels in different levels of the design sphere, from a strategic leadership side to actually be very close, uh, still to the craft, uh, be cross-functional, uh, dealing with all our stakeholders, evangelize design. So there's a, a bigger mission that uh, we we work on, which is not only on the delivery side of getting our designs ready to be shipped, but working with uh, a multitude of teams to deliver experience, but also uh constantly educate people about the impact of UX. so my day is quite chaotic in that sense that I'm I have to move between these layers but it's a uh, it's quite rewarding as well so yeah I love I love I love what I do uh, always love and and yeah it's just a good 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 journey but yeah it gets kind of crazy just the amount of work and the volume that we have to do with. So sometimes I need some breaks too.
1: Thank you, Claudia. So we'll conclude this show by you recommending three favorite books of yours and
0: also people who inspire you the most in this space. Okay, so I'm going to break the rules here. I'm going to actually recommend four. What about that? I would do one of the really marked my life was Creativity Inc. from Ed Catmull and Amy Wallace is the story of Pixar from the beginnings with where John Lasseter, Ed and Steve Jobs started Pixar but outside of the story of Fox, the Pixar as a whole, and I work for Disney, so I'm kind of biased. It's an amazing book for creative, uh, creative management and creative empowerment through the team. So really good book. If you have a chance to read about it. creativity, Inc. Uh, the Ride of the life uh, of a lifetime is a Bob Iger's uh, book. It's a very interesting journey as well. One that really helped me when I started with management and, and leadership in design org designs for uh, design orgs uh, by Peter, my host, was a a phenomenal book in in ways to structure teams and dealing with creating an org. And I think one of the, that's a really good one that makes you look at everything differently is the the design of everyday things from Don Norman. So I think those four books are are very, again, they're not kind of hands-on book from a design perspective, but they're very inspiring book. About design in general, folks that I get inspired by—jeez, there are so many. But I think Don Norman—it's a—it's a guru on the field. Tom Kelly from a design thinking and a business approach to design. Uh, there's a—they just retired now. Joe Rody from Disney that designed learning Avatar. Uh, design amazing rides. He was on a summit that I organized at Disney and he's such an amazing mind. Uh, Jared Spoon, Peter, my host, and all the, 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 the top minds in the field. I think it's always good uh, to plug into those folks and, and learn from them.
1: Thank you so much, Claudio, for sharing all these wonderful resources. We are looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes. Thanks
0: for your time. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks so much. We'll